Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red for this first of our summer specials, which we're going to intersperse amongst what is set to be the transfer madness and Nottingham Forest, but something different today and a few more of these coming up through the next few weeks. Uh, I'd like to be joined by BBC Radio Nottingham's football commentator covering Forest, Colin Frey. Colin, hello. I say, how are you? Yes, well, I'm well. I mean, how how are you? Have you recovered from the, the whirlwind yet? Oh, uh, just about. I mean, it's taken a few days to come down from it all, but I think it's it's slowly starting to settle in now. The dust is settling and uh, it, we can sort of look back very fondly on some some great memories that uh, I, I'm, I'm sure everybody that was there is, is never going to forget. I certainly won't. Um, it was a terrific day. Monday was great as well with the uh, the scenes in the market square. Um I suppose now, as as uh, Steve Cooper would say, it's on to the next one, isn't it? Because <laughs> now they've got now the work starts. Because now they've got uh, only a few weeks to get ready for for the big league. What was Wembley like for you? Because in our job, you know, we're trying to tell stories, aren't we? And there's the kind of I don't know. Did you feel a weight of responsibility? Because I know obviously you'd waited so long to get to Wembley. Forest waited so long, and the fans waited so long. Did you go into that game feeling any extra pressure, or like Joe Kinnear against Derby, was it just another game? <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't just another game. <laughs> that's for sure. Just like the Jokinir Derby game wasn't just another game either. No, uh, no. no uh, it was. Yes, I know what you mean. I, I, there was a, a little bit of an added weight. It, there were there as you went into the game. Uh, you know, never mind the occasion. I mean, the occasion was brilliant. We, we might talk about that in a bit. But in terms of the game itself, and and from the sheer uh, aspect of commentating on it you knew leading up to it that there were potentially historic moments going to happen, you know, club defining moments, club history changing moments that might happen during the course of the next 90, 120, whatever it might be minutes. So um, it was in, in terms of pressure. Yes. I mean, I, I don't suppose I, I really felt pressure because I've done it for a long time, but the adrenaline was going and I knew that, when those moments came, I had to get them right <laughs> because you don't want to be messing up that moment that's going to get replayed for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in 30 years' time, they might be replaying it on Radio Nottingham. But so, so you, you certainly didn't want to get that wrong. So in those in those terms, I guess there was pressure. It was a big game, so you wanted to get it. You know, you you wanted just like the players want to perform. You you want to perform yourself. So um, uh, that that kind of putting pressure on myself, I suppose, was there. But it wasn't something that I was really too conscious of once the game got underway. I suppose, again, like a player, you know, you, you have the adrenaline, you have the butterflies before it starts. And then once you're underway and, and you're doing your job, that's that's kind of when the um, the natural instincts kick in. So I know I've asked you this before. Um, 
did you break your rule of not having pre-prepared lines for the final whistle and stuff like that? Was it all off the cuff still? Yeah, no, it was all off the cuff. Um, I, it, I, I know what you mean. I, it would have been tempting. I think this this was probably the most tempting to time to to kind of script stuff. But again, you know, I've I've said before, and I'll stick to it. It, it is my rule. I don't script. It, it has to be instinctive. It's like you, you know, a footballer doesn't script what he's about to do. He has a, a plan and a way of doing things, but. He's never able to script exactly what's going to happen in a match. You know, it's it's very instinctive once you once you kick off and you're just reacting, and that's exactly the same for me, really, and a fan as well. You know, I don't suppose any of the thirty-seven thousand fans that were there in red knew what they were going to do when the goal went in. Um, you know, it's it's not something that you pre-plan or knew what they were going to do on full time. Certainly, from some of the videos I've seen, people didn't know what they were going to do on full time. That's for sure. Um, and and the same for me. Yeah, I just I, I just like to be instinctive. Um, but it was uh, I, I I think when I listened back to, to the full time whistle, certainly it was just a question of of keeping it simple on this occasion because mm. Nottingham Forest are Premier League. What more can you say? That's that, that sums the whole thing up, doesn't it? Are you able to take it all in? I mean, I try to give myself a moment to kind of um, look around and let it sink in a bit before the game and after. But when I was working, it's so full on with what, what I do. And obviously it is with you. Does it all wash over you a bit or are you able to enjoy it? No, I did exactly the same as you. I, I tried to take moments in the build-up. Um, the, this, where I was working it was right at the back of the press box. Um, and you sort of have an overhang from the tier below. Uh, sorry, the tier above. Obviously, mm. uh, you have an overhang of the roof from the uh, from the tier above, um, which kind of blocks out most of the upper tier of Wembley. And the upper tier at Wembley is huge, as we now know. Um, so you kind of, when I was actually commentating, when I was in that position, you sort of don't get the full feel of of exactly how big it is. So I made sure that a couple of times, both before and after, um, I, I sort of went down a few steps down towards the front of the press box and got clear of that overhanging roof so you could just see. And uh, and and the, the thing that hits you, I think no matter how many times you've been there, and obviously it's the first time I've done football commentary there, but I've been a couple of times. And I think, I think the thing that hits you every time you go and you, you just can't get used to it is the sheer size of it. Mm. Um, and, and so to wander down what 20 minutes before kickoff maybe 25 minutes or so uh, before kickoff just to wander down those steps and kind of take in the whole thing and and as as you as I went down the steps more and more of that top deck became visible and it just seems to go on forever it just goes up mm. and up and up and there's there's people in red wherever you look it was just it was extraordinary that red wall was a was a real sight to behold and you know I I'm, I'm sure I'm like many people I kind of can't stop looking back at these videos now and uh, and just reliving that noise it was extraordinary yeah I watched the I mean I haven't watched I have watched the game back and I'm gonna ask you about that in a sec because it was an awful game but I've watched the post-match many many times the celebrations and the the pundits and stuff I mean yeah on the game itself is it an easy game to commentate on it wasn't a good game at all and you we had the benefit of monitors and stuff I mean was it quite a comfortable commentary with with Steve Hodge and uh, Steve Sutton to actually execute? Uh, yeah, it was it, it was fine actually. I mean, you're right; it wasn't the most exciting game. Um, you know, only one goal. Goalkeepers didn't really have an awful lot to do, did they? I mean, I don't think Bree Samba had a save to make, did he? No, um, no. I thought Huddersfield's approach was very uh, defensive. Um, I thought they were, you know, they were obviously happy to let Forrest come onto them and. 
uh, and let Forest have a lot of the ball. And in the end, they got broken down just before half time. So not the most exciting of matches maybe to commentate on, but obviously the occasion more than makes up for that and the tension of what's at stake. Um, and then obviously, no matter how poor or otherwise the game is, once you get down to the last 20, 15 minutes or so, it's all about the clock. It's all about how close Forest are and, and sort of building up that tension. Uh, not that it really needed me to build it up in any way. Everybody <laughs> knew what was what was at stake and, and you could kind of feel it. And the fans were, were loud, but also edgy. Um, and uh, and then the, the six minutes of stoppage time. Uh, and I tell you what, I've never heard a louder cheer and I've never screamed so loudly on commentary for a goal kick when the opposition player slices it out of play five minutes and 55 seconds into six minutes of stoppage time. Because it was only then at that moment, I think, that we all knew. Um, you could see one or two of the players start to celebrate as well. You could see Brian Yates go and have a word with the ref just to check. The ref mm. says, yep, that's it. And, mm. uh, and then and then cue that explosion of joy, as I described it. But no, it wasn't. It was not a great game. But, you know, there's, there's so much to talk about at Wembley and with the... Uh, with everything that's at stake and the tension and and everything that you've got to describe in the crowd, if if the match ever gets boring, um, it it was uh, it was fine to get through. One penalty, no penalty, two penalties. I mean, what's your? Everyone's had their say on it. What's your take? <laughs> uh, my take is that the first one, I think, the referee got it right. Mm. Um, I think that I think it was Harry Toffolo, wasn't it, going over yeah. Jack Colback? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he looked for it. I think Toffolo left his foot there to go over Colback's leg. I think Colback's leg was planted. And I think there was contact, but I think the contact was instigated by the attacker rather than the defender. Um, and so I think the referee got that right. Uh, and therefore, on review, when it goes to VAR, is it a clear and obvious error? Well, I don't think the picture showed it was a clear and obvious error by the referee. In fact, as I've just said, I think the referee got that one right. Mm. Um, and, and I think VAR agreed with that. So I have no qualms about the first one. I think the referee got it right. I think VAR backed it up. VAR worked. Second one, cannot fathom for the life of me still why it wasn't referred. Yes. Yeah. I just don't know why mm. it wasn't sent to VAR. Mm. Um, but, you know, Forrest have been on the wrong end of about a dozen over the course of the season. And we've been waiting all season for it to, as the old saying goes, level itself up over the course of a season. And it levelled itself up big time <laughs> in the playoff final. That's the time to get one. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just I don't know why it wasn't reviewed. I just don't know why it wasn't reviewed. Can't get my head around that at all. Still don't know. Still can't work it out. But to be honest, yes, really, not bothered. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I 100% agree with you. I thought at the time it was a dive, and it's so hard to overturn that on VAR. But I suppose the thing is, you know, Forest are going to be facing VAR next season, and I guarantee we we know that four or five times next season we're probably going to be saying VAR is wrong, and it's just the reality of Premier League football now, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, um, and I don't think the system is perfect. But I do think that had VAR been in the championship this season, Forrest would have had an awful lot more points and probably wouldn't have been in the playoff final. I think they'd have mm. gone off automatically. I think they'd have got enough points um, because the number of games that they ended up drawing when they ought to have had a stonewall penalty, for instance. I know you've, you've got to score them. I, you know, it's, it, it's ifs and buts, isn't it? You know, they might miss. 
Um, but I, I, you know, the goal disallowed at, at Luton uh, that was should have been should have been able to stand. Uh, the obvious, the, the clear mistake at, at Bournemouth, which was massive. But you can go back way before that. There was a run of about half a dozen games where Brennan Johnson should have had a penalty every time he, he went into the penalty area just about. There was a, mm. a horrible foul against Sheffield United at the city ground. Uh, QPR away. There's a, uh, probably two shouts for, for good penalties. These are just ones I can remember off the top of my head. You know, there, there were so many at around about that time that we were talking with Steve Cooper every game, at the end of every game about, oh, there's another one. Um, and on every occasion, you look at the video afterwards and it completely proves that Forrest should have had penalties or, or not. So um, with VAR, I think Forrest would have avoided all of that stuff in, in the playoff final because I think they'd avoided the playoff final. I think they'd have gone up automatically. Um, and, you know, so, so your hope is that with VAR next season, there won't be as many things that go against Forrest over the course of a season or go against the opposition. You know, Huddersfield would be watching this now and say, what do you mean go against Forrest? Can't believe what you're saying. But, you know, uh, uh, as long as VAR, and you're right, it's probably not going to get all of them right. We're mm. probably still going to be moaning about four or five decisions over the course of the season. But, you know, that's better than moaning about a dozen or 13 or 14 or whatever it might be over the course of the season. So um, I, I think it's got to help. But but you're right. You know, every team is going to be denied something by VAR at some point next season, and that includes Forest. Uh, last couple of Wembley questions. Is it hard to keep your emotions in check? I mean, I was, you know, I didn't cry, but I was worse after the Sheffield United game. I might ask you about that in a minute. That was oh, absolute torture. <laughs> but is it hard to keep it together? Or you, you hear emotion in the voices of pretty much everyone. We, do you have to try and stay in the moment yourself? Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, you know, it, it's professionalism, isn't it? It is, it is, you know, I know sometimes things go viral when commentators start blobbing on air, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's not really the way to describe to the people at home who can't see it what's happening, is it? <laughs> so yeah. um, it, it's not really something that ever floats my boat. Um, but there were moments, I have to admit, there were moments when I had to, you know, I had to usher. Hodgie quickly in to the mic, say something, Hodgie. Um, I think the one that really got me was when I saw Joe Worrell in tears on the in, in the middle of the pitch at the mm, end. Mm. I, I thought, you know, it was probably what three or four minutes after the final whistle, and and so you'd had all that immediate explosion of joy, and all the celebrations were continuing, and it, it almost seemed just you could almost see it hitting Joe Worrell what it meant. Um, and uh, and he had his little moment in the middle of the pitch, and and I almost went at that point, mm. but not quite. Just about managed to hold it together. So we were all right. We got through, but it was a lovely moment. Last thing I was asked about Wembley, and I'm not going to ask you to comment on the the instincts. It's not fair. But are you aware that you've gone up even further in Forest fans' estimations for for cutting off Jim White when he tried to <laughs> to, to get in front of you? <laughs> well, I didn't know it was Jim White. I, I, but... <laughs> It didn't matter who it was, you know. I'm in the middle of a live interview, and you can't just sort of butt into a live interview. I'm, I'm on live radio, so um, you know, Steve's in the middle of the, the you know, focused on answering my questions, and I'm in the middle of a question, and suddenly this voice comes in from nowhere. I had no idea who it was at the time, um, and uh, but but you know, I, I would have done it for anybody. Probably wouldn't have done it a few years ago, but that's experience for you. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought that was a bit. 
that was a bit naughty. But to be fair to Jim, he probably didn't realise it was live or something. He probably thought it was a press conference environment or something like that. But the press conference was next door. He could have gone in there if he wanted to do that. Yeah, probably. I, I, I like to think I'd have had the balls to do it if I had known <laughs> who it was. But I don't know if I would, you know. I've, I've been doing, you know, you've done it a bit longer than me. I've done like 15 years of this. But yeah, fair play to you. Um, I mentioned the semi-final. I just wanted to ask you about that. I found that. The atmosphere was incredible. I thought it was louder than Wembley because you know how the, the ground rattles, doesn't it? When before, when mm. the, when Sheffield United get their second goal and Forest going Forest of Magic on and off the pitch, they're they're banging the the corrugated hoardings behind and it it resonates. Was that a different experience to Wembley? And was that I mean, did you find that more kind of torturous? Because I know I certainly did. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that second leg, uh, second half of the second leg was a real test. Um, and to be fair to Forrest, you know, they came through it. And I've seen a lot. What I would say about the semi-final, excuse me, is that I've seen a lot, a lot of talk about how good Sheffield United were in the second leg. Mm. But how good were Forrest in the first leg? Mm. You know, a, a two-legged game is obviously about two legs. And Forrest were devastating in the first leg. They were absolutely brilliant. Um, and it was only close because of some poor finishing and some decent goalkeeping. Uh, so, but, you know, so I, I think Forrest deserve credit for that. But I just keep hearing about how hard done by Sheffield United workers, how well they played in the second leg. Well, yeah, they did. But Forrest were pretty good in that first leg, you know. Um, but as for the second leg, yeah, I mean, through all the emotions and so similar to what happened 19 years ago. I mean, just extraordinarily similar. And I mm. didn't say it on the radio because of how it, it finished 19 years previously. But... The, the similarities were just incredible with, you know, Johnson scoring in both legs. Forrest mm. get a two-goal lead, go 3-1 mm. up on aggregate, and you're thinking, right, it's all sorted. And then Sheffield United come back, level things up at 3-3 and force extra time. It's exactly what happened 19 years ago. That what I just that sentence I've just described could describe the 2003 playoff. And, you know, the, 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 the echoes of that were extraordinary. But a couple of things were different. Uh, first of all, Forrest had home advantage in the second leg, and that was massive in that second half because the mm. fans were, as you said, they were magnificent. That Forrest of Magic on and off the pitch, everybody in the ground, I think, was stood up and twirling. If you've got a scarf, they're twirling it around their heads and, as you say, banging on anything they could find to bang on, <laughs> stamping, jumping up and down. Uh, and when the team really needed it, because they were under the cosh, and Sheffield United were good, you know, fair play to them. I thought they actually absolutely came roaring back. Um and uh, and played like a team with nothing to lose. They had nothing to lose. They had to go for it. They went for it. They got their goals. Forrest needed the crowd that night, and they got the crowd. The crowd was magnificent, and that home advantage. And I know Steve Cooper's talked about it at length this season, quite rightly, because the atmospheres of the city ground have been better than I've ever experienced. You know, when you get John McGovern saying the crowd is louder than it ever was in the European campaigns, you know how loud therefore the crowd must be and how appreciative the players must be of that so mm. Steve Cooper said it a lot this season he's talked about it a lot quite rightly um, and you know that that atmosphere in that second leg helped the players through it, it really did help the players get through that and therefore that's that's the difference I think the other difference as well as home advantage is that Forest are made of sterner stuff yes you, know, you, you could see Again, there were echoes of every playoff match we've seen, haven't they? Where there's that second half capitulation, saw it against Yeovil, saw it against Blackpool. 
Um, not so much against Swansea away from home in that second leg, but again, the, the late goal from halfway, which just kind of sort of summed everything up about Forrest messing things up. And also the Stoke game at the end of that season, a couple of years ago, when, you know, it's another late capitulation with all of those goals and the dramatic change in the last 20 minutes. So it had echoes of that, but as well as the crowd, Forests have got themselves and, and they are stronger now. You know, they can come through those moments. They've had to come through those moments. And for all the talk over the last season, again, quite rightly, of how exciting Forest are to watch going forward, how good they are, how creative they are, that fast attacking, flowing football, for all of that, they're equally strong at the back. They're really strong. Um, and, you know, that, that back three, but as a unit defensively, they are very, very resolute. And even though they conceded two goals for only, I think it's the second time in 19 games or something since Stoke mm. had drawn 2-2 after Brie Samba at his moment. Um, uh, you know, even though they conceded two, they were resolute enough to go, right, OK, let's not capitulate. Let's dig ourselves out of the hole, get back in the game, helped by the crowd, um, and then go on. And, and I thought played quite well towards the end of the game and then played quite well in, in, in extra time as well. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, every emotion that night. Absolutely every emotion. We went right through the ringer and back again, didn't we? Mm. <laughs> but finally, you know, Bree Samba and the water bottle and the penalty saves and all the rest of it. And what a story. Forrester are at Wembley. Yeah. I mean, do you think it'll be, t we will ever top this in a sense? Because the emotion of going up, I mean, because it had been 23 years. And it had been so bad at the start of the season. It was, And then you win it at Wembley. And in a way, it is the best way to go up. Although I never want to do it again. I mean, do you think this, <laughs> do you think this is the, is, is this as good as it gets, I suppose I'm asking? Or do you think being in the Premier League, maybe winning a cup, touch wood, or pushing for Europe would top this, do you think? Well, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. And and the way I've said it to, to people, you know, you know, been chatting about Wembley and the atmosphere there and that that kind of, as I say, I, I called it an explosion of joy. You can call it an outpouring of relief, I suppose, as well, if you like, after, you know, after 23 years. Um, I, the way I've described it is that, you know, if Forrest, if Forrest, big if, of course, but if Forrest can now establish themselves again and they can go on and they can be a force, in English football, and they can, I mean, they got to the quarterfinals of the Cup this year, but, it, you know, if they can get back to Wembley in Cup finals or something, if they can have a run in the League Cup or the FA Cup as a Premier League side and, and get to Wembley, it'll be a great occasion, but it won't mean as much. No, no. Because there was so much riding on that game, as there is in every playoff final. But for Forest, for it to be their first playoff final and to have the opportunity to get back into the top flight for the first time in 23 years, as, as we've been saying, to have all that as another layer of emotion on top. Um, you know, it's, it, it is hard to see how that day can be topped. Mm. But that said, I think we're going to have a lot of uh, exciting days at the city ground, exciting away days. And if Forest, you know, if they can go on and be successful then I should imagine the emotion of winning the Premier League one day is, is probably going to exceed what, what we had at Wembley. Who knows? I know I'm getting way carried away. Um, it, it's all it's all a bit sort of pie in the sky at the moment. But in terms of the absolute relief and that 
outpouring on the final whistle of 23 years of pent up frustration. Well, you hope we're not going to see that again, because mm. to see that again, they're going to have to be out of the Premier League again for another 23 years and then get back again doing the same thing. So um, you, you kind of hope not. I think it was unique. I think it was a unique moment because of the history. And as you say, because of the recent history as well, because if you'd have asked anybody in that stadium on the 15th of September or whatever it was when they lost to Middlesbrough at home, mm. whether, you know, if, if you thought you'd be having this day out at Wembley and having this sort of emotion, everybody would have laughed at you and thought you were completely bonkers. So for so many reasons, it was, I think, probably, I think it was going to be unique, yeah. I'm going off on a tangent. I don't want to keep you too long. Was that Middlesbrough performance? Well, I think Swansea away last season was in the cup was as bad as I've seen. Was that Middlesbrough performance right up there with the worst performances you've seen from a Forest team in Hewton's last game in terms of waving a white flag and never looking like you were going to win? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, there have been some bad ones, haven't there? I mean, the, the yes. last season they went down. have got quite a catalogue to choose from. <laughs> the, the season they went down into League One, there were some horror shows. I mean, I remember mm. them losing to Plymouth 3-0 at the city ground oh, yeah. uh, and capitulating. Um, and then and then you look at some cup ties where, you know, some of the, the, the more memorable cup ties, um, like 3-0 at Chester. Mm, like losing, field, yeah. losing at, at yeah. Um, uh, Accrington in the League Cup, I think they lost. Yeah, um, they did, yeah. And then... A bit more recently, under Philip Montagnier, that horror show, which was a cup tie at Wigan. I mean, you know, there, there are so many because there have been so many scarce years, you know, real paucity of of, uh, of results and entertainment at times. So there have been a lot. But again, you kind of think, given the circumstances, given what was happening, given the fact that at that time, I mean, in all of those occasions, they've at least had times before it in the season where they might have won a game. Mm. But here they are seven games in. They haven't won a game. They've got a point at Derby and, and everybody's celebrating about the fact that they've got a point at Derby is the only point out of seven games. And every game has a very same feel about it. And, you know, fans have just come back into the city ground and are wanting to be entertained. And instead, all they're getting is, is a very dull game of football where Forrest might try and keep it tight and then try and pinch one to, to go and win the game 1-0. But actually, they're unable to keep it tight and, and they concede and then that's it. You know that's it then because they can't score goals. Couldn't mm. score goals the season before either. You know, mm. the, the goal-scoring record was awful. Um, and so it was a real low point. It was a real low point. Um, and I think everybody knew what was coming at the end of that night. Of course, what people didn't realise was that the guy who was going to replace Chris Hewton was going to have such an immediate impact. Um, so whether it's the actual worst performance, I'm not sure, uh, because there has been some real dross, <laughs> if we're honest. Um, yeah. But that but, all adds the emotion of Wembley, doesn't it, in a sense? Yeah, it does. You, I'd ra you'd rather not go through that, through that dross, but it did it yeah. did make it all worth it. That Again, you know, that that what we come back to, that unique moment at the end mm. is all because of that. It's because Forest have been through it. Forest fans have been through it for so many years and they've had so many lows and very, very few highs. Um, you know, even even a, the high seasons, you know, the, the seasons that have given you a high that, that where you end up in the playoffs have ended up with a massive disappointment up to this season. So 
yeah, again, all part of that that feeling on the end, that uh, that outpouring on the final whistle at Wembley. Mm. Um, you mentioned Cooper. Do you get a different? I mean, I've only interviewed him a couple of times because obviously Sarah does it much more for us. But I, you, do you think you get that kind of different feeling about him? That I mean, special's a big word, isn't it? But he's got a bit of an aura and a bit of a charisma that I think draws people in. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, I think he's he's he knows what to say and when to say it. Mm. And I think he not only knows what to say and when to say it with the media, but I also think that's the same with the players. You know, mm. I th- I think he as well as being an outstanding coach and tactician and being able to set his team up. And, you know, you look at some of the, um, over the course of the season, you you look at some of the times when we've looked at a team sheet and raised our eyebrows before kickoff and whoever he's brought in has then played a blinder and it's worked perfectly. You know, he's, he's played somebody in there. He's given Zinkenagel a different role perhaps because he's seen something that he can exploit in the opposition. Um, when he first came in, they were they were trying all sorts of different sort of shapes up front. And when I say trying, they were using all sorts of different shapes up front um, because they knew it would exploit the opposition. And, and you know, so so there's that tactician in him. There's the coach in him. I think you know I've said previously. I think he's made every Forest player better. Yeah, I don't think there's a player who he he's brought in or inherited who is a worse player now than they were when he came in. I think he's made every single player better uh, in every position. And therefore, you, by definition, therefore, you make the team better. But apart from all of that, aside from all of that, I think he's a man-manager. I think he's a brilliant man-manager who knows exactly how to get the best out of players. He knows exactly what to say to get the best out of players, when to say it. Um, you know, we we hear about the the WhatsApp messages and, and and all that sort of thing, don't we? Even when they're not in the training ground, um, I think is an inspiring man to play for. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I get that impression that mm. everybody would be prepared to run through a brick wall for him, and mm. you can see that on the you see that on the pitch. You know, I talked earlier about how good defensively they are. You know, the people a, a teammate might make a mistake, and there's two or three that are are in there trying to to make up for that and, and and get themselves back into position to cover for for a potential error or an actual error um so you can kind of see that so so yeah i mean i think he's he's got a bit of everything uh, but most of all he's got a bit of magic dust because <laughs> what he did again something i've said before i'll repeat here i think there's been 5 years worth of progress in that 8 months that he was in charge um mm. because i think to take a team from where they were and how they were playing and how flat they were to take a club, never mind the, the team, to take a club because the whole place was flat. You know, those atmospheres, the last couple of home games under Chris Hewton with the with the fans back in, the, the atmospheres against Cardiff and Middlesbrough were horrendous. It was a toxic place. Everybody was miserable. Forest fans who, you know, uh, as, as we've seen uh, over the course of this season, have united as a big, big family. You know, there were there were fights between Forest supporters coming out of the game uh, uh, in in those in those days. There was such a, a, a fractious atmosphere about the whole club. Um, so not just the team, the club to take to take a club from where it was and do what he's done. I I think would normally take five years to get you from the bottom of the championship and without a hope. And, and playing some pretty awful football and not able to score a goal 
to go from there to the football we've seen this season and to get into the Premier League um, and, and to be the best team over the 39 games that he was in charge of um, in the Championship. It's just it's an extraordinary turnaround. Mm, it would normally true. take five years, I think. Uh, last one before we discuss next season briefly. Um, how mad was Market Square? <laughs> yeah, mad. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, a huge honour to be asked to be involved in it. Um, and that was daunting. You know, you asked me earlier about whether it was daunting at Wembley. Yes. <laughs> when I, you know, I can, yes, I can see everybody, but I know that very few of those 37,000 people can actually hear me. Um, so it's it's different when you're talking into a microphone, you can't see your audience. But looking out over, I think the official figure is 25,000. I think that's what the council have said. 25,000 people in the market square. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> My, my co-host Matt Ford was was with me as well, and we were kind of chatting before we, you know, having a peer over the balcony. Oh, There's a lot of people out there, um, and and I thought he's, you know, he's the experienced campaigner. He knows what it's like to appear in front of a live audience. He'll be fine. So I was kind of getting him to try and calm me down, but it didn't really work that way. So he was looking at the size of that crowd as well, and uh, you know, a huge honour for both of us. It was it was really uh, one of the highlights of my career to be to be asked to be involved with it, um, and uh, and just just fantastic. I mean, not the slickest of shows because there were various things going on behind the scenes as we were waiting for various players to come out at various times. But uh, we don't need to to go into that now. Uh, but it was. Uh, it was it was all sorts of fun, and uh, and then for uh, for Joe Worrell to to come out and give me the cup and give me that moment lifting the cup up was was something very very special. I will remember that and treasure that for a long long time. Yeah, I mean, people in our industry, you never want to be the story, do you? But um, I mean, you've sort of cemented this iconic status now, haven't you? I mean, it's weird <laughs> for me. Like, I went to the semi final. And like five, five or six people come up to me saying, you know, nice things about this podcast, which is great, but it's completely alien to me. It's mental. Is it, that must be a bit weird to you. Just, mm. you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, no one would have known what you look like. But now with this and social media and everything, you're a bit recognisable. Are you a bit uncomfortable with that? Uh, yes, if I'm honest. You're right. I mean, you put it you put it right. We, we don't look to be the story, do we? And um the spotlight has been it's been lovely it, the first thing that, that i would say is that you know some of the comments have been absolutely wonderful it's teared me up at times to to hear some of the things that have been said um wembley way was extraordinary uh thank you to anybody who stopped me and asked for a picture and uh, wanted to chat about forest um you know everybody was just having a great day and and myself included at that time on on Wembley Way I was having a lovely time on Wembley Way walking down seeing all the red shirts because Wembley Way was red I don't know where all the Huddersfield fans had gone um but you know it would it that was that was lovely um and and you know some of the comments that have been put on social media have been very touching and and I am touched by it and it has made me a bit sentimental over the uh, over the, the course of the, the few days and thank you to everybody who said nice things that said it sort of you know get me out the spotlight <laughs> it's, not, it's not really about me um you know it's it's those players that's what you know that's that's what we're here for we're here to watch the players we're here to be entertained by footballers and um and and you know that's that's where i'm happiest behind the mic with the face for radio um, and and that is that you know that's that's where I want to be. But you know, as I said, I, I'm very very touched by it, and you know I'm pleased that over the course of 
several decades <laughs> people seem to have been happy with the, with the job I've done and that's always you know that's always lovely to hear how do you think those players are going to fare next season in the Premier League uh, are they are they capable of of surviving and thriving uh, yeah I mean I, I think it's going to be very interesting this summer I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see what they're for a pitch um Evangelos Marinakis after the, the after after the Monday celebrations was saying and during the Monday celebrations as well was saying that he knows it's going to take money. He knows it's going to take more than the TV money that they already know they're going to get. Uh, so he's prepared to put more money in. Uh, I just think it's going to be fascinating to see where they where they pitch for players. You know, we, we're seeing all sorts of links already, aren't we? And that's going to continue over the course of the summer. Now they're in, now they're in the Premier League. I mean, it, it, it's been a bit of a um, uh, a rumour frenzy every time there's a transfer window. But now Forrester in the Premier League and people know they've got a bit of money to splash around as well. It's just going to be uh, exacerbated tenfold this summer. Um, but, you know, whether or not they're going to be pitching for £40 million goalkeepers or yeah. whether or not they're going to be looking to bring in the odd free transfer who's got maybe a bit of Premier League experience. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see where they go, you know, a... Uh, uh, you know, maybe a homegrown player. See some links, don't we, with Jamal Lascelles? Maybe a homegrown player like Jamal Lascelles, or are they going to splash the cash on a established international player for thirty, forty million pounds to bring in at centre half? I just, I, I don't know the answer to that at the moment, but I think it's going to be fascinating to see. As for whether or not they can cope, I think the FA Cup run showed that they can cope, mm. um, and I know that. They, although the teams that they played against played strong sides, they weren't their strongest sides. You know, we didn't see Mo Salah play for Liverpool or Sadio Mane or, uh, you know, uh, Robertson, for instance, at, at fullback. They, they, they had players missing. But against those players, Forrest, against those players that were on show, and there were many of Liverpool's first team, a championship Forrest showed that they can compete. A championship Forrest showed that they could destroy a Leicester City side. Um, and compete and beat an Arsenal team as well. So I think that gives encouragement that even the squad that they've got will at least compete. Uh, but obviously, as with any side that gets promoted, you know they are going to need additions. We're going to have to see what happens with all of the loan players because half of the team was, was loan players, let's not forget, last season as well. So uh, that's going to be interesting. What it does, of course, is it puts Forrest in a position to be in that conversation about Jed Spence now, which they wouldn't have been if they'd stayed down. It gives Forrest a chance, I think, to be in a conversation about Jimmy Garner, if they want him, if they think he can be good enough for Premier League, because the next step for Manchester United might be to loan Garner to a Premier League team. And what better Premier League team than a team he's used to playing alongside and, and they know will look after him. So, you know, the promotion in terms of the loan players gives them options to be involved in those conversations if they want to be. I think it's going to be a hugely interesting summer to see where the, where exactly Forrest are going to pitch. But if you listen to what Evangelos Marinakis said uh, after promotion, he wants far more than 17th. He wants far more than just clinging on and staying up. Um, he wants to really push on now. I, I get the sense from him that, you know, this was... This was his first stage. It's taken five years to, to complete his first stage of getting into the Premier League. But now he's there. Yes, it's one thing to have Olympiakos in the Greek Super League. 
but the profile and the branding of a Premier League side is so much greater. And I think he's determined to make the most of that. And and it's easy to say, you know, it was easy to say five years ago, yeah, I want Forrest to get in the Premier League, but it took five years. Mm. Um, and it's easy to say now I want Forrest to be established in the Premier League. He knows it's going to take money. He says the money is there. He says Steve Cooper can have the money. Just going to be fascinating to see how it's spent. Yeah, they were interesting comments. Uh, they were. Uh, I hope he's not like getting. I hope there's a sense of patience still around the manager. I know it sounds mental to say, but we've seen managers come and go. At, uh, Dean Smith at Villa and all stuff like that. I mean, last question was going to be: Is the manager the biggest as- asset? Do you think? I, I think you have to say yes. Mm. I think absolutely you have to say yes. I mean, obviously they've got twenty million pound rated footballers, but you look at the way some of those players were playing before Steve Cooper came in, you know, we've talked about it already and they didn't look like 20 million pound footballers. And as I say, I think Steve Cooper's made all of them better. I think he's a huge asset, absolutely a prize asset uh, for Forrest. And we don't know how it's going to start. Do we, we do, we, we do not know it, you know, they might lose their first six premier league. They might only have one point out of seven games mm. at the start of next season. In the Premier League, we, we just don't know. We hope that's not going to be the case. But, you know, and with Steve Cooper there, I'm I'm pretty certain it won't be the case. But I'm also pretty certain that even if it is the case, he'll turn things round and he will get things right. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, it might be a season for a little bit of patience. But surely everybody knows that. You know, surely people aren't expecting Forrest to just get promoted and then rampage through the the Premier League at the first time of asking. Um, I I can't see that. And it would be great if it did. Fantastic. What a season we're going to have. You know, we're going to repeat what happened in the glory years, get promoted and win the league the following year. Uh, You know, it it, it would be fantastic, but not realistic, is it? Let's face it. So um, I think it might be a season for a little bit of patience. I think although Evangelos Marinakis won't settle for it, at 17th. I think most Forest fans would settle for 17th at this stage um, and making sure that they can consolidate their place in, in the Premier League, get themselves that second season and, and then try and kick on. But, you know, this is, as I, as I kept saying in the build-up, really, to, to Wembley, and this is something that is completely alien to Forest because the Premier League they were in 23 years ago bears very little resemblance to the Premier League of now. And the teams they're playing against are just on a, a different level again. So none of us know. None of us have any idea exactly how things are going to go. We've seen the evidence of how difficult it is for any promoted team to stay up once they've got up. Um, but we've also seen the evidence that teams can do that. And with Steve Cooper at the helm, I think Forrest have got every good a chance as uh, any of those other sides who, who have managed to stay up in that first season. Yes, I agree. I agree, certainly. Right, uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks for everyone who has listened along to this and enjoyed it. As ever, do give us a good rating or subscribe on YouTube. Do you have to say that on the BBC? You probably don't have to give the plugs, do you? Uh, we, uh, no, I don't think we have to. We do, though. Okay. <laughs> like you want people to well. listen. <laughs> 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 yes, well, if people would subscribe to this, that would really help. Uh, they are helping, uh, making me happy. And our beam figures are really good. And hope that continues into the summer. Uh, we'll be back next week with another guest. I think I've got two or three more lined up. But in the meantime, Colin, thank you very much. No problem at all. Thanks, Matt. 
and we shall see everyone soon.